Traditionally, psychiatric diagnoses have been made strictly from the patient's history and mental status exam. Increasingly, brain imaging is being explored as a diagnostic tool for psychiatry. What is nuclear brain imaging, and how does it work? Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I am Dr. Leslie Lunt, Director of Foothills Psychiatry and Foothills Foundation in Boise, Idaho, and your host today. Joining me is Dr. Todd Clements. Dr. Clements practices adolescent and adult psychiatry at the Amon Clinics in Newport Beach, California. He co-hosts Meyer Clinics Live, a nationwide syndicated call-in radio program focusing on a wide variety of medical and psychiatric issues. Dr. Clements is also the co-author of Blue Genes. Welcome. Hey, thanks a lot, Dr. Lund. It's great to be here. Now, Dr. Clements, what exactly is nuclear brain imaging? Okay, nuclear brain imaging, it's basically where we do a study that looks at the activity in the brain, or we say the functioning of the brain. Typically, we have two types of studies that are nuclear that do this. Uh, We have what's known as a PET scan or positron emission tomography, and we also have what's known as a SPEC scan, a single photon emission computed tomography. Uh, SPEC scan is really uh, the one that I do, the one that I'm most familiar with, and what it basically does is it looks at the blood flow in the brain. So it's different than a CT or an MRI that you traditionally think about when you talk about imaging. Those look at the anatomy. So in other words, what does the anatomy of the brain look like, where ours look at the functioning? What's the brain working like? Todd, how do these scans actually work? Well, the way these scans work is we take a radiopharmaceutical. So it's basically a radioactive isotope. And the one we use for the brain is actually technetium-99. And we link that on to a pharmaceutical agent. In the brain, we use something that's very similar to glucose. And what we know is that the brain works on glucose, and it works on glucose only. I mean, the brain cannot use fat, it cannot use protein, just glucose. It cannot store glucose. So the only way that it can get glucose is through the blood flow. So areas of the brain that are more active are going to have more blood flow than areas of the brain that are less active. So really these scans are going to show you three things. Areas of the brain that are working right, areas of the brain that are underactive, and areas of the brain that are overactive. So, you know, basically in the jargon we use kind of hot spots and cold spots in the brain. Hot meaning overactive, cold underactive? Right. What kind of prep does a patient need to do before one of these scans? Well, usually we'll have patients, you know, we don't want them to drink any caffeine that day. We don't want them to smoke, uh, use any kind of nicotine. And then the question becomes, what about medications? The best case scenario, if a patient can get off of their medications, that way we can see the brain in its raw state. You know, we don't see it with a medicated effect. However, you know, if a patient has to have a medication and they can't get off of it, uh, then we will usually, you know, have them stay on the medication. And, And the best case scenario would be if a patient could be off their medication about a week. For psychiatric medicines, I presume? Right, a week for psychiatric medications because what we know, you know, the psychiatric medications uh, can have a long half-life. You can still see the effect even though you may not have taken the medication for a couple of days. How long does one of these scans take? The actual scan itself takes about 20 minutes. It's really benign. We do place an IV and inject the radioisotope, and then you're placed onto the scanner. 
you really have a, it's a three-headed camera we use, and the camera turns around you. 20 minutes, and you lie there still, and then you're out of there. And uh, we usually like to do two different types of scans. We'll do a scan at rest, and then we'll also do a scan at concentration. And what we're looking at is to see the brain in its different states. Think about a heart study. We often have a patient, we'll look at their heart at rest and then have them get on a treadmill and see what the heart you know, does once you put stress on it. It's really the same principle here, except we use concentration to stress the brain. So it's very different than an MRI or a CAT scan. Right. If you think about an MRI or a CAT scan, it looks at the anatomy of the brain. Ours really look at the functioning, the nuclear scan. So it tells you how does the brain work. And we know when it comes to psychological problems that it's how your brain's working that's many times more important than what does your brain look like. Mm-hmm. Oh, exactly, in psychiatry especially. Even comparing that to the heart. I mean, you can take an x-ray of the heart, but that really doesn't show you. It shows you what the heart looks like, but it really doesn't show you how is my heart functioning. Now, are these scans covered typically by insurance? Sometimes we find that some insurance companies We'll cover them. Some of it depends on what it's for. We see that, you know, if it's for something like Alzheimer's or brain injury, uh, basically I say a medical code, that's what that's considered, they will cover them. For psychiatric reasons, we find that uh, usually ranges, uh, some will cover them up to 50%. We're seeing that it's actually getting better. We're starting to see more and more coverage. They're starting to become some evidence of these scans being uh, useful in diagnosing bipolar disorder. And so I look at that probably to be one of the first areas in psychiatry where it possibly gets full coverage. If you've just joined us, you're listening to ReachMD, XM233, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Dr. Leslie Lunt, your host, and with me today is psychiatrist Dr. Todd Clements. Now, Todd, of course, there's a a fair amount of controversy, too, about these scans. Some people say that there just isn't enough research on them yet and that maybe you're making diagnostic claims that just can't be supported yet by the technology. What do you say to those folks? You know, I think some of the criticisms of the scans are fair. Uh, Some of the critics, however, talk bad about the scans they don't really understand what we do. Like I've heard people say, oh, you cannot just use a scan to make a diagnosis. And that's not the way we use them. Of course, you know, we use the patient's symptoms. We use the patient's history. We use, you know, what uh, collateral information we get from families to make the diagnosis. I mean, that's still in psychiatry technically the way we diagnose. I mean, if you come into my office and, you know, you give me the symptoms of schizophrenia and I do a scan on your brain and it looks perfectly normal, well, technically, I still have to give you the diagnosis of schizophrenia because the dsm 4 what we use to diagnose, goes on symptoms only, not underlying brain pathology. So the way I look at the scans is they really help you target in on the treatment, help you understand what areas of the brain are overactive that need to be calmed down or what areas of the brain are underactive uh, that need to be activated. You know, in other words, like if somebody came in with depression and I saw low activity in the frontal lobe, I know that that person's probably going to do better on a medication that's stimulating, such as Wellbutrin, as opposed to one that's very sedating. So that's, that's, in other words, where it really helps you. 
So it sounds like maybe for treatment purposes, it's more helpful than diagnostic purposes? Right, I think so. And, and here again, the average patient we get, we're not their first stop. In fact, our average patient has been to at least three other psychiatrists and failed at least five other treatments. So in other words, what we tell people, hey, you know, if, if you feel depressed, you know, if it looks like depression, sounds like depression, you know, go see your psychiatrist, your physician, if they agree, you know, get on a treatment for depression. Where we would come in would be, you know, if you've been on multiple treatments, you haven't gotten better, or maybe you've even gotten worse, you know, that may be when it's time to get a scan. Or if you've had a history of alcohol or drug abuse, Sometimes we look and see, you know, what kind of effect has that had on your brain. People with a history of a brain injury will also look at that as well. How hard is it to get a spec scan in most places in the country? You know, it depends on where you are. It's actually easier on the West Coast than the East Coast. It seems the West Coast has more places. And what's interesting is if you will look, a lot of the university centers are doing a lot of studies with brain imaging now. So, you know, some people are able to get uh, their scans done for free as joining part of a study. But going back to the question you talked earlier about, you know, some people say we don't know enough yet about it. And I will say that scanning is still in its infancy. I mean, we're going to see the next five years, you know, just the knowledge in this area just grow exponentially. And, you know, it's probably going to make what we do today, you know, look very archaic. But here again, we do have a tool that can help people. So I think it runs the question, is it perfect? No, but do you wait till you get it perfected until you actually start using it to help people? And here again, I don't think you do. I think, you know, if it can offer help to a patient, that it should be an available treatment. Now, how do you think brain imaging might affect the whole future of psychiatry? Well, I think here again, it's going to become standard practice in five or 10 years for a a physician to look at your brain before he or she treats you is definitely one way I think it's going to change. And also, I think even, let's say, okay, today a pharmaceutical company wants to test a medication for depression. So what will they do? Well, they will find people that are depressed and they will give them some kind of rating scale, like a Hamilton D scale, and look at their score. Then they will try this medication for several weeks, and then they will give them that test again, and they will see if there's a difference in their score to see if their mood improved. Well, here again, that's all very subjective as well. So I think in the future, we'll be using things like scanning to see you know, what kind of effect that medications do have, if this medication is helpful for calming down this area of the brain or activating this area of the brain. And I also think where scans are really going to come into full fruition is when we start getting more procedure-based treatments in psychiatry, such as transmagnetic stimulation. You know, and the theory behind that is we can stimulate areas of the brain. Well, wouldn't it be better to have a picture of the brain and know particularly what areas need stimulating or what areas need calming down? Um, before stimulating them. So I I really think as that becomes a practice that's more accepted here in the United States that we'll see imaging go along hand-in-hand with that. Now, any resources for people that are more interested in this topic where they can look maybe on the Internet? 
Sure. You know, actually, I work at the Amen Clinics. If you go to amenclinics.com, we have pictures of scans on there. And one of the knocks has been, well, there's not enough research on this. We can also look. We have over 2,000 studies that have been done on spec scans. Well, thank you so much, Todd. I appreciate all your information today. Oh, thanks a lot, Dr. Lyon. We've been discussing SPECT brain imaging in psychiatry, trying to dispel some of the controversies with Dr. Todd Clements, psychiatrist in Newport Beach, California. I'm Dr. Leslie Lunt. You've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. For comments and questions, please send your emails to xm at reachmd.com. Thank you for listening.